podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion. And yes, it's our second episode of the weekend to celebrate the Melbourne Cup, which is due off on Tuesday, the 3rd of November. I got up early this morning to speak to Richard Friedman, ahead of him having his dinner. Richard is part of the Friedman dynasty, which has played such a large part in Australian racing since the beginning of the 20th century. Richard now trains in Sydney with his brother Michael, and he was on fine form this morning after they'd saddled Elaborate to win the ninth race at Rosal Gardens on Saturday afternoon. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget you can download the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify or Stitcher. Give us a rating and let us know what you think of the show so far. Well, welcome to the Paddock and the Pavilion, Richard. Thanks, Stephen. Well, it's good to have you on the show. Uh, locally, you are the uncle to Sam Friedman, who um, played cricket at my uh, local cricket club, Marchtown Cricket Club. Now, Sam is doing very well at the moment. Yes, he's partnered up with my brother, Anthony, and they're having a very good run. They trained a winner today and had a very good uh, Mooney Valley meeting. So, yeah, he's doing well, young Sam. Good. Well, I'm hoping to get him on the show at some point. So, But on today's show, we're going to talk about your racing career, the highs of your racing career, the Melbourne Cup, and hopefully get a tip for next Tuesday's race. So how are you doing yourself? You had a good result yesterday. Yeah, I was broadcasting yesterday, actually, at uh, the race meeting at Rose Hill in Sydney, and we ran the, the third richest race in Australia yesterday, the Golden Eagle, a new race. Um, our richest race, the Everest, at 15 million, and then I think seven and, a, seven and three quarters for the Melbourne Cup and seven and a half for the Golden Eagle. So Golden Eagle only for four-year-olds. So I was broadcasting all day and told everybody, just as I left to saddle up a runner in the last race at Rose Hill, uh, this will just follow them around. And, of course, it followed them around and ended up winning. <laughs> so it was a bit of a bit embarrassing. Oh, that's handy when you're actually um, the commentator as well, or the uh, yeah. working on the, in the media. I didn't yeah. realise you still worked. Didn't realise you still worked in the media. So uh. yeah, I work for Channel Seven. I do well when I say I work for them. I sort of help them out, and do a day here and a day there. It's, it's a bit of good fun. Good. And um, how has lockdown af- affected Australian racing? Well, funnily enough, Australian racing never broke stride. We powered through the lockdown period and uh, just kept going very well negotiated with the government but in australia uh, alone can uh, contributes about 250 million dollars to government coffers every year so uh, maybe that had something to do with us uh, powering through but we just kept going right well let's turn to your your actual racing career um how long have you been in racing and, and were you bred to be in the sport well pretty much um my great-grandfather uh, rode three Melbourne Cup winners back in the early part of the uh, of the 20th century, 1912, I think he rode his first one. He actually rode in England for a period of time. Um, uh, he, he had a few rides for the royal family in England as well. So, and my great uncle did the same. He he was apprenticed in England, and uh, he had a, some nice wins and a, a bit of connection there. And uh, then my my father was a uh, stud owner and uh, we were sort of raised on the 
on the stud with horses and so I guess we we've had a background in it for you know generations but uh, you know I don't think any of us were going to be racehorse trainers initially it sort of all came to pass after well just around the time my dad died and we were all quite young and you know we we decided that we'd leave I was at university so was Lee mother brother and uh, Anthony and Michael were still at school or Anthony might have just left I'm not sure I can't remember but uh, we we had to earn a living so we you know did something we knew how to do and I read you were the youngest professional trainer to train a winner in Australian racing history at 18 is that right well at that time uh, you know that there, there may have been someone younger by a few months because you've got to be 18 to have a trainer's license so I got my trainer's license, I think, on my 18th birthday, and then sometime in that year I trained a winner. So it may still stand as a record, but, I, you know, at the time it definitely was. So what, what do you remember about that day, and what course was that at? I can't remember a lot about it, actually. It was at Canberra, uh, and uh, the horse horse's name was Delta Sun. I remember that. And uh, many more de- – I remember he won a 1,200-metre maiden, and that's uh, that's about as much as I remember. <laughs> but in the in the early 1980s you joined up with your three brothers i don't know who started but there was the four of you in the as a team and you had a very successful time winning over 100 group one races what were your highlights and what was the best horse you trained well that's a very good question there's, a, there's been a lot of great horses and yeah we we teamed up together we more out of necessity we just had to make a living you know and and um, it was easier, the four of us working in the stable, we didn't have to pay exorbitant wages. We were taking about $50 Australian a week for like a, a an 80-hour week. So that was by necessity. But we, we had quite a lot of good horses. Um, I mean, the ones that stand out for the family are probably Maccabi Diva won three Melbourne Cups. We won two of them. David Hall trained when she won the first one. Um, but there were great horses like Mahogany, uh, Sub-Zero, who's only just passed away, uh, probably more famous after he, he finished uh, racing than, than during his racing career, but he did, he did win a Melbourne Cup and an Adelaide Cup. Um, we've had horses like Encosta de Lago. We've had Miss Andretti, who came over to, and won the King's Stand. Um, gosh, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Naturalism was probably the best horse of the lot and doesn't have the best record. Uh, he only ever won three group ones, but he, he should have won a Cox Plate and he, he was arguably very unlucky in a Japan Cup. He, he ran second by a, a length there too. He was, a, he was a decent horse, but there's been a lot of them and we've been very lucky. So when the uh, Miss Andretti won the King's Stand, did you come over to Royal Ascot and did you enjoy that? No, no, no. I was working on a breakfast radio program at the time. <laughs> so, so I, I stayed in Sydney and uh, Lee went over there and I think he had a great time and I uh, would love to have been there. But, you know, once again, you've got to learn a living. Uh, reading Sub-Zero was a bit of a sort of celebrity. Didn't he appear on television and things like that? Uh, yeah, well, he was, he was, he's one of, I classed him as the, the world's greatest thoroughbred till he died, which was only just a few months ago. And, um, he won a Melbourne Cup. He then became the clerk of the course at Flemington Racecourse in Melbourne. He, he did that for 15 years, 10 or 15 years. And then when he retired from that, he started to visit nursing homes, hospitals, hospices, and he they would take him into the hospital. They had special shoes, padded shoes made for him, and take him up in the elevator to a ward, and he would just walk along the ward visiting the children. And 
the amount of pleasure that horse gave to uh, the elderly, the infirm, the sick children, dying children uh, was was quite astounding. And, you know, if you ever get a chance to get on the net and see some vision of what that horse did, uh, it'll bring a tear to your eye. Oh, that will remind uh, people in this country uh, about Red Rum, who appeared on uh, the Sports Personality of the Year show one year and went up in the lift and also uh, attended lots of other events as well. So horses can obviously do a lot of good when they're in the, in the presence of children and people who are, who are not well. Yes, they can bring a lot of joy to them. And, you know, the more opportunities we get to introduce horses to, to people who, who need a bit of help, the better. Well, you then took a break, I think, in the early part of this century to move into the media. What, what was the reasoning behind that? Well, I don't know at the time. And I look back on that and think, I think I just, we just won. We'd had such a great run. You know, we'd won every big major group one race in this country several times by then. And, you know, I, I just thought, well, I can keep doing this. And, you know, there, there becomes other pressures. We were, I think we were all married by then. We had our own families, you know, it was just time to do something different. So uh, I took a, a gig doing a breakfast radio show in a radio station in Sydney and moved from Melbourne to Sydney and, and happily did that for seven years. It was it was great fun. Um, it allowed me to do a lot of stuff that racing wouldn't too, travel a lot, uh, travel overseas quite a bit. You know, it, it was good like that. And you weren't just covering horse racing. There was other sports as well. Oh, yeah, a little bit of horse racing, but mostly, you know, the other sports that we like here in Australia, uh, rugby league, uh, AFL, Australian football, um, did a little bit of, of what we call soccer, you call football. Uh, it's not as popular here. And uh, rugby union was popular at the time, but it's not so much anymore. And then you decided to come back to training. Uh, what was the, why did you decide to do that? Um, I was... I'd done a lot of broadcasting. I'd worked for several radio stations and a couple of TV stations and and uh, done a fair bit of it. And it was, yeah, I don't know, it just started to to wane in its, you know, my enthusiasm for it. And um, my son came to me out of the blue and said, wouldn't mind being a horse trainer. So I thought, ah, oh, here we go. I'm going to have to give him a leg up. And... Um, which we did, and, you know, I started pre-training a few horses for my younger brother who'd returned from Singapore where he'd trained for about 10 years. And, um, you know, that sort of got me back in the, the swing of it gently. And my son was going to work for Michael, my brother, and then Michael got a gig in Hong Kong and left to go to Hong Kong. So he was sort of swinging in the breeze, and I said, oh, we'll, we'll train a few horses. So it started off just that way. And, you know, pretty soon we went from having four horses to having – 40 horses pretty quickly and it just sort of went on from there so this is your son will is he is he still with you with you now yes well yes and no he's 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 still around but uh, <laughs> Hopefully, he, yeah. uh he did the dali flying start program which gave him oh, exposure all around yeah. the world yeah it was a brilliant program and very generous of sheikh muhammad to uh to put that on for a lot of young people around the world uh and then when he came back from that he sort of joined me in training stable at Rose Hill where we had stables and and um, just recently you know, I joined up then partnered up with my brother Michael and we've had stables at Rose Hill and Randwick for a couple well nearly well, getting on towards two years now and um, he uh, he's just recently in the last three months said okay I think about an, a, enough of working for you two and 
went out on his own. So he's training in his own right at Scone in New South Wales, which is, you know, a major country and breeding centre in New South Wales. So that means there's five generations now of the family that's uh, been in racing, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think I counted up. You know, if we count our Melbourne Cups and my grandfather's Melbourne Cups and the second placing that my great uncle trained in a Melbourne Cup in the 30s, I think we've had uh, we've had eight wins and four seconds in the race and a couple of thirds. So we've had a bit of luck in that race. Well, that's some record. Uh, how many horses any of you got now? You said 40, is that right? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just supervising about 36 of them at Rose Hill right now, and Michael's got uh, 26 of them at Randwick. So between the in the partnership license, we we have. Uh, you know, getting on towards 60, you know, 60 odd horses in work all the time here in Sydney. How is the 2020-2021 season going for the team? Well, we we've had a pretty good start actually. Our season starts on the 1st of August and um, carries through till the 31st of July the next year. So since the 1st of August this year, we've uh, we've had about 22 or three winners, puts us in the top. I think we're running seventh in New South Wales. So, you know, we only sort of got back into it in May uh, of last year as a as a partnership. So to go from, you know, nowhere to the, well, getting close to the top five now in that length of time, it's been good. You know, we, we've been to the top before, but it takes a, you know, you start off at the bottom again. You know, if you, you your reputation carries some weight, but you still got to work it hard from the bottom to get back up the top again. And for British listeners, uh, you train at uh, the actual racetracks, as you call them, not because you haven't got the gallops like we've got in Newmarket and things like that. Yes, much to our chagrin, uh, we 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 train, you know, on tracks that are inside the racetrack at uh, most of the major city racetracks and even the country tracks. And I don't think it's the best way to train horses by a long shot. Um, I think you've got a much better training facilities in. Uh, in the UK and in Europe generally. And, you know, we would like to emulate that. It's just a matter of uh, getting the will and the finances to do that. Well, moving forward then, you've spoken about the family's uh, successes in the Melbourne Cup. Although I've been racing in Australia, I've never been to the Melbourne Cup. But what does it mean to an Australian? Well, the Melbourne Cup is iconic here. Um, it's cultural. It, it, it actually engages nearly every single Australian. It's it's the most watched sporting event in Australia by a country mile. Or every metric you want to apply to it, it is the biggest annual sporting event of the year here. And so to win a Melbourne Cup is pretty much every young horseman's dream when they get a training licence or a jockey's licence to, or even if you, you know, become an owner, owner's dream to own a Melbourne Cup winner. So it's, it's pretty rare. There's no race that, stops an entire nation like this that I'm aware of anywhere in the world. It's it's quite unique. And it's a bank holiday for everyone in Australia? Um, yes. Well, yes and no. Some places don't actually have an official holiday, but the, the public take it anyway. They just don't go to work. So, <laughs> so pretty much everyone writes off Melbourne Cup Day. Uh, and what is your, your first memory of the race? Uh, well, watching it, obviously, as a child and listening to it, it, I'd be at school, you know, in grade three and the teacher on a three o'clock on a 
Tuesday afternoon, we'd stop the class, turn on the radio, and we'd all listen to the Melbourne Cup. That's how ingrained it is in Australian society. And grade three, what, how old would you have been then? Oh, I don't know, nine, eight. You know, they, they teach us to gamble early here. <laughs> and how has the race changed um, since Vintage Crop, the first Northern Hemisphere horse, won the race? Well, he did something quite incredible. You know, it's, uh, it, it was a great credit to his connections to actually have a crack at that. It was a difficult assignment to come out to Australia for a race that had basically never been done before. And out he came and, and took the prize away and it started a new era. Um, it, it also has changed Australian racing to a degree. Uh, the way we prepare Melbourne Cup horses has changed and even changed through, uh, you know, mine and my brother's careers about how we do it. The, the way we prepared our first one through Vintage Crop and the other Europeans coming to Australia and doing it a different way to us uh, has changed the way we do it. So um, it, it has influenced Australian racing quite uh, dramatically. Because Vintage Crop won in 1993 and since then there's been Japanese, German, Irish and sort of English winners of the race. So what type of horse do you now need to win the Melbourne Cup? Well, the, the, the latest fashion, a very good, a, a very good stayer, uh, probably not as dour as, as what you might think is a, a good stayer. They brought out plenty of those, you know, uh, three to 4,000 metre horses here uh, and good ones too, but they, they're just a little bit dour for that race because we race on slightly smaller turning tracks. You need a horse with a little bit more toe. And I think they've now struck the, you know, the 2,000 to 2,800 metre horse is probably the right sort of horse to come out here. Um, they have to have something with a little bit of uh, early speed. Once you get a long way back in a Melbourne Cup, it's, it's very hard to get back in the race because it's quite a large field and you're turning for quite some time. So you need a horse that can take a position and that requires a little bit of gate speed. We go out of the gates a little bit harder than you do over there. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting question as to what sort of horse the latest fashion is to bring down your, uh, talented three-year-old so that you get in the race with a very light weight. And, uh, that's been quite successful of recent years. Yeah. So who is the, your favorite winner of the race? I'm thinking along the lines that we've, I think you're having another one of these virtual races. Um, and you had one for the Cox plate where, Frankel is obviously never won in, running the Cox Plate. Won the virtual Cox Plate. Seems ridiculous to me. I took no <laughs> notice of it. I thought, what a ridiculous competition where you're trying to pick uh, having a virtual race about uh, with horses in it who've never appeared in the country. I mean, it seems silly to me. But there you go. He did win it, and no doubt he's a was a worthy winner. <laughs> but have you got a favourite at all yourself, or would it be one of the ones that obviously that won for the Friedman team? I'm a little bit biased there. Probably Maccabi Diva. She was a, she was a, an amazing racehorse. She defeated, you know, Vinnie Rowe on a soft track here. It'd be no mean feat to do that. He was a great horse, you know, and she won three of those in a row. Only horse to ever do it. Uh, carried the weight carrying record for a mare in her third uh, Melbourne Cup. Be a long time before that's beaten. Uh, she was great, but and I have to have a very soft spot for. For all of them, and including the first one, was a horse called Terrific, who was 
nowhere near the caliber of a, a Maccabi Devo or even a Dreamosaur uh, Sub-Zero. He was he was just a good old handicapper and he just arrived on the day and, and did the job. Yeah, looking up um, Maccabi Devo, he's got quite a lot of bloodlines uh, connected to Northern Dancer as well. Well, she was uh, actually, I think, foaled in England and brought here as a foal. So uh, she was actually an English horse, but she spent her whole racing career in Australia. Oh, so we can claim success for that then over yes, here? Yes, yes, I'm sure. It's a bit like your cricket team, you know. You, you pull them from anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> what do you? So what do you think it'll be like um, uh, this year with no crowd at Flemington? Quiet. <laughs> it will be, be a quiet Melbourne Cup. Um, look, the racing has continued, but it, uh, through COVID, but it has continued with no crowds um, for the safety reasons. You know, uh, congregating indoor, particularly, but outdoor as well as you know, it's 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 a more dangerous thing. We've had a, you know, touch wood. We've been very lucky in this country. Uh, we've been able to continue a lot of things that that have had to stop in other countries. And uh, racing has been one of those. But we've been very careful about how we we prosecute that. It, it, when I go to the races, I have to be tagged and have my temperature taken uh, before I can enter the course. And then I'm kept away from the jockeys and um, the, the owners are kept away from the trainers and the jockeys. So we're all kept in separate groups and um, very little contact between them. Well, looking forward then to Tuesday, 24 runners, I'll give it in metres for, for yourself, 3,200 metres, two miles in our language. Uh, what are your thoughts on next week's race? Well, it's interesting uh, that we've got so many uh, European horses here this year. I didn't think they'd be able to get here, but they've managed to, to get down here. And I think there's uh, seven of them running in the race on Tuesday. And if you count the New Zealand horse that's here, there'll be eight international horses. Uh, I guess they're headlined by, headlined by Anthony Van Dyke, who's come down here and he's had one run here in the Caulfield Cup. Ran a very gallant second and uh, looks like he's on track to perform very well in the, in the Melbourne Cup. I think he probably wins if he produces his best. Um, you know, and there are a couple of others too. A horse I, you may be familiar with from uh, from... England horse called uh, Sir Dragon A. He he uh, he won the Cox Plate last week, and that's one of our very biggest races. He's now trained in Australia, but uh, he'll run a very big race. And uh, I think my younger brother's horse, Steel Prince, he's maybe the best of the local horses. He'll be hard to beat. He won the Geelong Cup, which has been a traditional lead-up. I think Media Puzzle came through that lead-up, and several others to run very well in the Melbourne Cup. Yeah, we've got um, a new market connection with Charlie Fellow's Prince of Arran, who's been placed in the last two Melbourne Cups as well. Yeah, I think Charlie worked, when I wasn't working at uh, the stable in Melbourne, I think Charlie worked for my brothers Anthony and Lee for a while, um, and they're quite good mates. And, you know, Charlie's been down here with Prince of Arran before, and, and he's performed very well. And he's, uh, I'm sure he'll perform well again. Um, your brother Anthony and um, nephew Sam, uh, they've got Steel Prince, they've got, Another horse as well, have they? Uh, um, they do, and its name has escaped me now. Um, uh, La Donne de V, is that, is that their horse? 
Is it running? No, I don't. Look, they may have another one there. I haven't taken yeah. that much notice. It's the thing with trainers, you haven't got your own horse in the race, you pay scant regard. <laughs> but you think Steel, Steel Prince has, has got a reasonable chance? I do. I do. I think he'll go very well. He, he, he's, he likes Flemington. He's a good, strong stayer. He's in good form. So what would your tip for the race be then, and an outsider for us? Oh, as an outsider. Well, I think Steel Prince is pretty much an outsider. Um, no, I'd tip him as an outsider because I think he'll start at Bolter's odds. Now, my final question, um, are we going to see more Aussie sprinters back at Royal Ascot? Well, not for a while. Um, you know, the, the, we can't leave the country. We certainly can't go to England. And... Uh, that's going to take a little while. I don't. I don't see that happening until there's a, a vaccine, an effective vaccine, and who knows when that will be. Uh, after that, I think they will because it uh, it works for the the Colts uh, that go over there. Because if you can win in England, it just broadens their appeal as a stallion. So I think that has good commercial value. Other than that, you know, taking mares there, we took a mare there. You know, it's 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 a great. It's a great privilege to be able to do that and, you know, a great thrill to win it. But the, the economics of it isn't so great because the costs are high and the, you know, prize money is certainly much better than it used to be, but it's, it's, it's not at the levels we're getting used to at the moment. You know, a, a big race for us is, is 3 million Australian plus, and there's quite a number of them now, you know, going up to a $15 million race. So there's not the same sort of pull that there was to, for those horses to go there. But certainly for Colts, there is still some commercial uh, sensibility to that. Well, you've answered my question, really. I was thinking along the lines, the reason why they're not coming is because of the lower prize money in the UK to Australia. Yeah. Now, look, we, you, your, uh, your industry is certainly benefiting from our high prize money because we are buying a lot of tried horses from uh, from the UK and Ireland, and uh, I think Hong Kong are doing the same. But uh, it, it certainly lifted the prices for those sorts of horses. They're becoming unbuyable. They're so expensive now. But um, so you benefited from that, and and you know obviously uh, those sort of horses we will continue to purchase. And uh, yeah, it does it does take away the the desire to want to travel horses as much because we have so much prize money at home. Yes, because we've also had a Dayab who's come over to Sydney and won two Group Ones earlier, early part of this year. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he he ran really really well, and you know, we, young Tom Markwand rode him, and I, you know, we really like him down here. We'd like to see him back, but he's not coming back anytime soon, by the looks. No, he's very popular over here, and he's he also recently won the St Ledger at mm. Doncaster. Mm. He's a good young rider. Well, thank you very much for joining me on the paddock and the pavilion. Best of luck for the current season, and we'll look tip on Tuesday. Well, I, I think I think you'll be cheering in in uh, up there because I think Anthony Van Dyke will will be very hard to beat. He's a he's a very nice horse. He he looks to be a beauty. So good luck for his connections, and good luck to everyone up there. I hope you back a winner. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and The Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Pad and Pad.
Social Podcast Network.